and welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. It's uh, it's time to settle down, get yourself a nice cup of tea, and uh, let's get a little bit industry deep. Um, this episode is going to be called not it's not outside the box, it's not around the box, it's inside the box, and uh, I'm joined tonight by uh, Peter Blenkarn who is uh, one of the co-founders, directors, um, one of the creative forces behind Inside the Box board games. So, uh, good evening, Peter. Hey, uh, good evening. And how are you this evening? You well? Yeah, good, thanks. A bit of a a long day inside the box, (laughs) so to speak, but uh, yeah, it's good. Well, you'd be glad to get actually outside the box and get outside for a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes I have to take myself out for a little little walk, usually playing Pokemon Go, if I'm honest. Really? Um, Just to get get myself out of the office. Well, it's it's a good way to go, and and I can't think of a better way to do it than with a a bit of of Pokemon Go. Um, (laughs) The reason um, I've asked you on, well, for several reasons, um, I have mentioned this a a couple of times on previous episodes, but... um, you're one of the you're basically one of the guys that runs the the UK Kickstarter Facebook page. Was that 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 was yeah. one of the first reasons? And secondly, is because you also run your own um, your own games company um, inside the box board games. So we thought it would be a good idea to to get you on and and have a little chat about somebody sure. who is out there and actually doing it and is very much part of a the vibrant the vibrant community of board games. Now. Um, for those who are joining us for the first time, the reason that we do this is because there's quite simply not enough podcasts about board games. Definitely. And uh, the second the second reason that we do this is because there's quite simply not enough board, uh, podcasts delving deep into board game companies. <laughs> as low as we can get. <laughs> so that's the idea tonight. Um, as we usually do, we like to find out a little bit about um, about somebody's history with the hobby. So, um, Peter, what as a gay, what we're interested to know is, you know, a little bit about your past, a little bit sure. about what you've been doing just now, potentially a little bit about the future. But most <laughs> of all, we'd like to start with a little bit about your history and your good self. So, how did you get into kind of the board games hobby kind of thing? <sighs> That's a, that's a good question. Um, I guess I, I grew up on, on games workshop stuff as a, as a lad. Um, so I was only about, probably about 12. Um, I had those like, magazines for the Lord of the Rings uh, miniatures game. Um, we got like a pack of goblins one week and a pack of Gondorian rangers the next kind of thing. Um, got myself uh, pretty far down the rabbit hole with games workshop until I was about 18. Mm-hmm. Um, went off to university, kind of, you know, stopped painting miniatures that much, I just didn't have the time really. Um, and then around about my third year, uh, Thirsty Meeples uh, in Oxford, um, which is the first board game cafe in the UK, opened up. Yes. Um, and me and my mates were thinking, oh, that's pretty cool, you know, not really seen anything like that before. Um, and kind of dusted off my uh, kind of board game kind of brain, I suppose. Um, and then we ended up going there like pretty much every week, um, going and playing loads of different games, loads more kind of modern Euro games, um, as opposed to the kind of monopoly articulate kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and kind of really got back into it. So I, I had a few, um, I had a few sort of games workshop. And I was, like I said, I was really far down the rabbit hole with the Warhammer IP. Um, had a few sort of games workshop uh, IP board games like Chaos in the Old World, uh, sort of some of the Fantasy Flight stuff. Have you um, still got your Chaos of the Old World? Oh yes. 
<laughs> yeah, it's not leaving my uh, Have my you now grasp. moved it from being on the shelf to being in a safety deposit box? Because <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the prices on these bad boys now. Oh yeah, but I've seen them kind of. They're they're approaching. Um, they're actually approaching worth their weight in gold. Yeah, moment. pretty much. I mean, it's a pretty weighty game as well. So yeah, um, it's pretty, I've actually yeah. got a on the subject of like random old games that are kind of attracting a good price these days. I got a copy of Pokemon Master Trainer. All right. Um, which again is attracting a few hundred quid on eBay these days, which is pretty cool. Um, I can't possibly let the thing go because it's like nostalgia trope heavy. But um, so is but, that uh, yours? You've had that since you bought yeah, it originally. Had, well, I think I've had Chaos in the Old World since I was about sixteen, and um, which is about eight years ago now. Um, and Pokemon Master Trainer since I was like probably about eight. Um, oh. So it's back back in the day, about ninety nine, I think. Um, Did you uh, yeah. have you kept it all nice and? beautiful oh no it's completely smashed to pieces i've already lost <laughs> half the bits like i mean really did not learn to keep hold of my uh, my boxes in good nick at that point but you'll uh, probably find there will be somebody that will be willing to pay a silly amount of money no matter how kind of um kind of dented the boxes or i'm or sure yeah. along those lines there'll always be somebody that'll be that'll be asking and they'll say and they'll ask an obscure question like um if you turn it over yeah is the plastic nub bit is that to the left or to the right um it's, it's to the right oh okay i'll get back to you <laughs> so what else have you got in your collection that you're kind of um hopefully oh, will help the... fund <laughs> in, in the, the, the box yeah. as time goes on <laughs> uh, i mean to be honest they were, they were kind of my two sort of ones that I've, i want to say like i brought from home mm. um so i didn't really have a huge amount of um sort of what we now call like proper board games I suppose um, I had Chaos in the Old World had uh, Pokemon Master Train obviously I had like reams and reams of Games Workshop stuff yeah um, I uh, actually the one that I found on Board Game Geek the other day which I really like to see like I want to say like in the context of all the stuff I do now um, was Mandarin yeah um, I think it was I think it was MB um, who published it um, and it was just really okay. cool, like set collection, like Zodiac game, and um, have this little um, like Chinese hut uh, in the middle of it. And you press this little lever, and these little tiles came out with like Zodiac symbols on them. You had to like collect the sets of them. Um, I probably played that like a few hundred times with my like parents when I was younger. Um, but it was really weird to see it on Board Game Geek, just like completely by chance, um, sort of you know next to Scythe and like terraforming Mars and stuff. It's really weird, um, kind of connecting those it's, two yeah, things together. I mean- well, I think um, when we did a when I did a, a kind of a chat with um, with the guys that were doing the Sherlock Holmes um, kind of board game, the Kickstarter, hmm. um, it turned out that Jim had been working on the kind of um, Thunder Road, and that's on Board Game Geek. So it seems to be somebody's just cataloging kind of board games as they go, and it gives you like the original yeah. art, and it's it's kind of pretty cool to to kind of see that. So you hit university, you said third year. Um, Start to get interested in games again. Yeah. Then what happened from then on? What was your path <laughs> after that? Yeah. So I guess um, me and my uh, my original business partner Matthew, um, he studied chemistry. Um, I did engineering, um, but you know, massive nerds. Um, and so we were spending most of our time at Thirsty Meeples, and then sort of loop around a year later to our fourth year, our final year, mm-hmm. um, getting absolutely sick to death of doing revision and exam stuff is really boring and hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started spending even more time there, um, you know, a couple of times a week just for, you know, blow, blow off some steam. Um, 
And we were sat there chatting to uh, the, the manager, Simon Reed. Really, really, really great guy. Um, you'll probably see him at Expo wandering around looking stressed. Um, <laughs> but no, fantastic guy. Um, but we were chatting to him about, you know, games in general. And he said, oh, yeah, you know, it's like, I bet it's not that hard to make a game. Um, <laughs> was that like a challenge? Just kind of, we were just like, I wonder, like, can we make a game? Like, it's n- nothing we'd ever really done before. I mean, we kind of put scraps of paper together of things like ages ago. Because uh, we both went to the same school and uh, our history teacher had a strategy board games club on a Friday evening, uh-huh. um, which we really went to like religiously for the entire time we were there. Um, and we, you know, put bits of things together. They were pretty much like really old school Euro game style things that didn't really work and were kind of rubbish. Um, so it's kind of, we, we, we're kind of in the habit of making bits of things, but never really taking it further than that. Um, but obviously now, you know, we're like 20 odd years old. Like we knew some things about some stuff, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, you were um, invincible and you could conquer the world. So making yeah. a board game was going to be, was going to be absolutely easy. And if you wanted oh, yeah, to definitely. make that board game as po- complicated as you possibly could, then leave me alone, granddad, because you know nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so what we did, we did is we kind of, we basically went, um, back to, I think it was my, like, dorm room place and then um we just like started drawing some things and put some ideas together came up with this idea for this like absurdly complicated like way in over our heads like strategy fantasy thing and mm-hmm. um, i'm like it's kind of become one of those like sore points for me now because we, we still haven't finished it um because it's still we still haven't found the right kind of niche for it yet. well i mean um, peter we're, we're not wizards is all about sharing so <laughs> I think what would be good now and to help you cleanse is does it have a name? It does. It's called Broken Shield. Oh right, okay. And uh, what what is it all about? Is this the Broken Shield that's on the website? Or is yeah, it? it is. Yeah. It's it's still there. Um I'm kind of loath to take it down cuz it feels like I'm a bit in defeat. Um but uh yeah, the the kind of the key idea with it um was like obviously I played you know a million or one fantasy games before obviously and so a lot of uh, games workshop stuff which has very you know rich kind of comprehensive sort of fantasy lore behind it yeah um but one thing i kind of wanted to do a little bit of was try and kind of strip back what the sort of fantasy genre is and like you know why, why is it that tolkien came up with the you know the characters and the races and the factions that he did you know why is it that the games workshop writers came up with the ones they did which are a little bit different mm-hmm. um and kind of looking at you know world of warcraft and other kind of popular fantasies or worlds um you know what what influenced them like uh, you know in tolkien's case it was the fact you know he's an english professor and read loads of like viking epic poetry and all the kind of grandiose stuff kind of inspired him to write lord of the rings yeah um and, you know, it's a lot of, like, Celtic imagery and all that kind of thing. It's like, you know, rather than just taking an existing thing and kind of, you know, repacing some stuff on it, tweaking it a little bit, it's like, can we can we go back into that? Um, and the conclusion we kind of came to was that that was going to be really difficult. Um, but also that, like, a lot of these, these like, old-school uh, fantasy genres had a lot of, like, really quite dodgy influences, I want to say. Like, <laughs> okay. like when you burrow down into like where they got their ideas for some of these things, you realise they're a bit off-colour. Um, yeah. Like the kind of, yeah, it's like try to read... Um, if you look at kind of like original Conan and, you know... Yeah. The orig- I mean, even if you look into kind of original kind of Greek, Greek-Roman mythology and everything like that, there's a bit that's kind of like some people nowadays would go, oh, that's a bit, you know... 
but uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit part, off. Of a, part of the history. So I know where you're coming from. Yeah, and it was like you know, can we almost like, can we reimagine those like fantasy ideas in a modern setting? Like, can we communicate? You know, I mean, Tolkien was you know around in the sort of 30s and 40s, like, and he he wrote with the the context and all the crazy stuff that was going on around him. Yeah, like. Can we can we do the same thing? Like, can we talk about issues in the world around us, like really abstractly through a fantasy setting? So it doesn't feel like you're getting a politics lesson or a lecture, um, but it feels like you're kind of talking about things, thinking about those ideas, you know, maybe relating it to your experience of what's going on in you know your country or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some like fairly high ideals at this point. Um, <laughs> you were kind of um, like, did was there brandy involved? I mean, was there smoking jackets and stuff? And were you? Ready I mean, to the it world? was Oxford, <laughs> um, so it was a bit pretentious, but um, <laughs> fortunately not. We were we were the the, the sane end of the spectrum, I think. Um, but uh, is the problem but, I mean, is the problem nowadays with like say stripping back the fantasy genre and making a new race of creature? is that pretty much most of the races of creatures have kind of already been imagined. So if you make a big hulking kind of, say, purple, monstery type thing, you're going to get somebody that's going to look at it and go, that's an orc, mate. No, 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 it's not. not. Um, We've called it something else. We've called it a grack. No, no, that's that's an orc. And you've just just said the word bucket and orc as well, kind of thing. (laughs) So you've got that kind kind of danger. So where is Broken Shield at the moment? How have you left it? Where is it? What kind of state is it in? Is it still broken? Uh, it's <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty broken. Um, we well, we the first thing we we came up with is basically kind of like um, asymmetrical, like kind of grid movement area control game. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't really warrant explaining because it was a bit crap. Um, <laughs> but then kind of came up with a more abstract thing. It was basically, the, the idea was it was all based on sieges. Right. Um, so it's about like the the idea that you're in this like, you know, broken world where everyone's got all these like political struggles that are kind of vaguely based on the kind of things we have in modern day society, but in a fantasy setting. Um, and the kind of the crux of it is everyone's kind of holding themselves up in these like castles, fortresses, mm-hmm. whatever, caverns. Um, and the kind of the the main game is essentially battling it out, trying to take resources from someone else by you know getting through to that castle. Yeah. Um, so there's a kind of campaign level to it and a sort of real time level to it, sort of kind of like um, you know like medieval total war uh, video game that kind of thing. Where All right. You okay. Can kind of engage with it on a kind of grand strategy level as well as kind of the individual sort of field battles and sieges. Um, so we kind of had these very big, very grandiose ideas for what it was going to be. Um, at the moment, I have a lot of scribbles, um, a lot of spreadsheets that don't really have any information in them, um, and a lot of uh, like bits and bobs of things. Obviously, got some of the artwork um, when we got very excited about it, got very close, I think, but then kind of fell apart, um, which unfortunately is you know how a lot of games go. Um, you know, you get very far, or what you think is very far into the, the sort of the meat of the the project, and then you realise it's not going to work. Yeah, um, which is a bit of a shame, obviously. Um, <laughs> Is it going to be uh, like um, the guy that goes out and buys a 1974 Ford Cortina that is a shell of a car and then spends the next kind of 32 years kind of fixing it up until at the grand old age of 65 he rolls it out of the driveway and it's there for everybody to see? (laughs) Is this going to be your kind of your pet project that you keep picking away at, I guess? I think it probably will be like I think it's 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 a bit of a weird one now because it kind of the kind of original conceit of the project like it 
it fits still fits within the kind of like the remit of the things that we want to do. Like, yeah. Um, you know, one, one of the things I did recently was bought some t-shirts for conventions and stuff. Um, and I thought it'd probably be a good idea to have some kind of slogan that goes in the back as well as like the ITV logo on the front. Um, and I was trying to think like, what is it that, that knits together all the different things that we do? Like, why, why do I keep coming up with ideas like the ones I do? Um, and like, basically they're all yeah. really pretentious. Like I'm going to be straight up. Um, like they're all like games that kind of mess with people a little bit. Yeah. Um, like they, they have some kind of like idea behind them with, with molecular, our first published game, it was about trying to make a complicated scientific top topic seem accessible and interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it was more about education than anything. With Statecraft, um, so one we published in the summer, it was all about engaging people with political systems and political ideas without making it seem partisan. So, like, trying to remove people's biases from the equation. Yeah, yeah. Um, with Subterra, the next one, it was about, like, how to communicate fear um, and how you can mess with people's minds in the same way you would do in, a like, a movie screening of, like, a nasty horror film when you're in a brightly lit room with your mates with a couple of cans of beer open and you're playing a board game. Like, is it possible to recreate that? Um, so they're all kind of like these lofty ideas, I want to say. Like, those are things that kind of get us excited. Um, and with Broken Shield, it's like, I want to say, as the, as, the prog- as the project developed, we kind of lost that a little bit. We got a bit too bogged down in developing artwork, developing the game system, that kind of thing. And kind of forgot the reason that we, we started the project was to make this, I want to say, like, counter-genre fantasy game that kind of shakes <laughs> yeah. up the idea a little bit and i think to be honest like we we didn't know enough about the whole thing to really be able to do that effectively um you know in terms of game design in terms of like you know writing uh world building that kind of thing so a bit out of our depth really but um so but I think, you, you know, did you and matthew then put this to bed and then think well what else can we do or was it a case that more interesting things um kind of took over from it and it got kind of put to the side more and more and more I think it's probably probably a combination of both to be honest like um obviously there was a kind of feeling that we were out of our depth of the project like we kind of got to a point where we realized we we're not going to be able to finish this to a to a level that we're happy with by the time we run out of money you know yeah, okay. um or time you know it's going to be the kind of thing where we just like we we just can't we don't feel like we can do this and that that kind of it it took a bit of a toll i think like it, it got a bit like it felt like it was dragging um, and that wasn't, you know, it wasn't exciting for us. We couldn't feel enthusiastic about the project. We thought it's probably best to to leave this one for a while, come back to it later. Um, I think at that point we thought later was going to be a couple of months' time rather than probably a couple of years. Um, <laughs> but it is uh, just because it, it is on the site, and I've had a little look, and you've got like um, you've got a map, a nice little. Um, it looks like uh, it's the old. Um, I've done a yieldy worldy map, so I've written some stuff and then got the T out. And painted the T on it to make yeah. it cool. <laughs> so it's like being back at like second year, second year in in high school when you do your first kind of history lesson report. Oh yeah, I know exactly you know. what you mean. You get the little lighter to you know burn the edges on well, it. Well, yeah, kind of thing. yeah. There was always some kid that like decided to um, take theirs home and then put it in the oven because that's what the history teacher says. Now what you could do is you could always use the T, <laughs> or if you stick it stick it under the grill for five minutes, then that will sort out as well. And there was yeah. always one kid that came back and turned out they had had a small fire in his kitchen <laughs> because of his history homework. And now the, the parents really, really wanted to have a word with the headmaster <laughs> yeah. about, about redecorating costs and stuff like that as well. Um, <clears throat> how long was it before you moved away from 
Broken Shield, and you got into Molecular because that was your was that not your first kind of yeah so foray into it really. I think we we realised quite early on that Broken Shield wasn't going to be the first game we published. Yeah, um, you know it's the first one we kind of tried to make, um, but we kind of put it to one side after a couple of weeks of trying to put something together and not really getting anywhere. Hmm. Um, and then we sat down and we were like, well, rather than try and do something we don't really know enough about, you know, we hadn't. We, we thought we were going to have to read loads of books. We're going to have to do loads of internet research. We're going to have to like play loads of games. You know, yeah. What a shame. Um, but uh, you know, like it's just going to take a lot of time to develop this. So let's let's sit down and think about something else. And then we thought, well, what do we what do we know about? And we were like, okay, well, I'm doing a degree in engineering, and you're doing a degree in chemistry. Can we make a game out of that? That'd be pretty easy. <laughs> um, and it was it was literally that conversation that sparked the whole thing. Um, and I was like, well. I was I wasn't really enjoying my degree at the time, so I was like, I don't really want to make anything out of engineering. It's just boring. Yeah. Um, so Matthew um, was like, well, you know, I like chemistry. Let's do one out of that. So we fiddled away with, you know, different sort of bits of chemistry that he was researching at the time. Um, what kind of things he got excited about? You know, why why were they interesting to him? Um, and I thought, well, it's a. So you were still at university at this phase. Any... You. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're just like sat in college room, just chatting at this point. <laughs> just like, what can we do? I don't know. I don't like my degree. Um, shall we do a board game? Yeah, let's do that. What about this Broken Shield thing? Uh, you know, we don't talk about Broken Shield, Matthew, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much exactly how it went. <laughs> um, so you're doing, you're doing the course, and how easy? Okay, how easy was um, molecular? To put together compared to what happened with Broken Shield, um, I should have come up with a different title <laughs> for this for the show now. I want, <laughs> like, oh god, I don't even know how to answer that. I suppose like it was hard in the sense that like we we knew we could do it, so we pushed ourselves a lot. Yeah, um, you know, we we got to a point where we realised you know this this is something we can work with. We didn't realise at that point probably that we were going to end up publishing it on Kickstarter and whatever, but we were like, this is a game we can finish. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a project where the end is in sight. So I think to that degree, it made it quite difficult because we kind of had to finish it. Okay. Um, whereas with Broken Shield, it was like we knew we we're not really going to get there, so it's kind of you know yeah. weren't really that enthusiastic about it in the end. Um, Seventy four four Cortina, as I said. <laughs> you yeah, kinda, exactly. you look at it, it's always it's always sitting in the garage, you know. Yeah. It's kinda waiting there for you. I mean, you went to you went I mean, molecular, is it commercially available available at the moment or is it something that you do you still have copies of it? Is it still available for sale? So we made a choice a while ago, but basically when we were um you know, printing the stuff in China, um, do we want to have this sort of, you know, as our kind of headline product, you know, this is our first game, this is the thing we're most excited about. Yeah. And we basically came to the conclusion, no, um, you know, as much as we enjoyed making it, as much as we enjoy playing it, it wasn't the best thing we could make. Right. Um, like, I, I really like it, you know, it, and it has a, you know, kind of place in my heart, I want to say, you know, it's the first thing that we did, but, you know, it's, uh, it's not the most impressive game that we could have made, you know, had we got the time and the money and the artwork and all that kind of stuff. You know, we did all the graphic design ourselves, Oh, right, okay. Um, and, you know, that that was a challenge in itself. Um, you know, we feel like we did a pretty good job of that, considering. Um, but, you know, when, you know, with, compared to Statecraft, where we had, you know, Zach, the professional designer and illustrator on it, like, you know, there's a there's a big difference in sort of visual um, quality, at least. 
Um, but, uh, but yeah, so basically the long shot is that we've got about 20, 30 copies left over, um, which we'll probably take to a few conventions and stuff and probably sell a few online. But we're yeah. not kind of, at the moment, we're not going to sell those copies, um, you know, into mass release yet. Okay. Um, okay. We're probably going to do a re-release at some point in the next couple of years um, with uh, a print run of the, the expansions that we did the pre- uh, print and plays of. Um, but that's a kind of something for the future, honestly. So it funded, I mean, you put it on Kickstarter. So you went yep. from absolutely nowhere to having a to having a product to um, obviously doing these deals to get it up. I mean, where did you, did you get it printed across and manufactured in China then? Is that where you went for that? Or was it yeah, homegrown? Yes, so we... Um, we went to China. So we, we originally tried to get a few um, UK companies on board. We thought that was probably going to be the easiest way to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we learned very quickly that it wasn't. Um, you know, anyone that prints board games knows that the only way to print them effectively is in China. Um, you know, and why, the Chinese... is that? why is that? Because you're not, you're not the first person to say that, and you're certainly not the last person to say that. And as, <laughs> I've, seen on the, as I've seen on the Kickstarter group, the question comes up again and again and again that an artist... If you can get a local artist, that's brilliant because you want to be able to have the feedback back and forward with the artist. But when it comes to printing and production, there's a seems to be a bit of a struggle with actually having a the, the, the getting the product, I guess, kind of manufactured here in yeah. Brighty. What What's what's what is the kind of from your experience and from dealing with an I guess a number of people involved in Kickstarter? What's the, is there a common theme as to why it's so difficult? Um, price is the biggest one. I mean, if I, if I could deal with, you know, Joe Bloggs down the road in London, mm-hmm. um, with a, you know, print factory, the size of the ones, you know, in China, mm-hmm. um, who I could ring up within my time zone, chat to someone who speaks fluent English, um, you know, someone I've got a personal relationship with, um, and sort print issues out and go down and visit the factory. Um, and that could all come at the price that I get it for in China, then happy days. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that'd be really convenient for me. Now, the people that are in the UK doing this are up against Chinese manufacturers with far more experience in terms of time that they've been doing this. You're talking about Chinese manufacturers have been out for decades um, doing mass manufacturing, uh-huh. not just, you know, printing posters and CVs off. Um, you're dealing with, you know, a huge market in China. Like, they, they all feed off each other. You know, you've got one guy that just does dice. You've know, got one guy that does punch board, like one guy that does... Um, you know, just the ink for the printers. So because the the size of the businesses in China are so huge because they've got such a lot of experience and, uh, you know, let's say decades of time put into um, that business that you can't really compete with it. Like if, if we were talking about like, you know, printing businesses across the European Union starting to integrate more, um, you know, if you had German companies... Dutch companies, British companies, French companies, all kind of working with each other. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, specialising in certain things. So you might be able to compete. Yeah. Um, but print seems to be very localised in Europe. Um, you know, you, you've got people printing large amounts of stuff like flyers and posters and promotional stuff for companies in their own country. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're not a manufacturing country at all. So the prices don't compare. The quality is good. Um, but it's not worth getting you know 10% better quality for 300% more price. Yeah. Um, so it, it really comes down to the numbers. And a lot of people slate the Chinese companies and be like, oh, you know, if you get it from China, it's rubbish quality. Absolute rubbish. <laughs> like, everything you buy is made in China. Yeah. Like, pretty much. Like, you know, plus or minus a few oddments of things. Um, you know, if you buy anything manufactured, the likelihood is it's either made in 
Japan in like a ridiculously high tech like mobile phone factory type place. Yeah. Um, or it's made in a probably one of state of the art factories in the middle of like Shanghai or Shenzhen or somewhere in China. Yeah. Um, you know, possibly Hong Kong. Um, have you, you been? Know, have you been out there to China yourself? Is that? Um, is that... I went a few years ago. Yeah, I used to. Um, I did a short amount of work for a telecoms company um, near Hong Kong. Yeah, um, which is a kind of story for another time. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's a weird one. Um, but yeah, I mean, like people have this idea that like Chinese companies make cheap tat because a lot of stuff they they buy is like hugely underproduced, like toys and stuff. Well, listen, look, I, I work, I mean, as some people may know, I, I mean, obviously, I'd, I'd love to do this full time, but my my job is involved in kind of marketplaces like Amazon and eBay. And um, most people have this view that they're, they're talking about getting over 15,000 kind of mobile phone cases sent to them from kind of Shanghai and places like that. <laughs> so that's kind of the manufacturing side of things. But, you know... I'm more than aware that there's a massive amount of different stuff that is produced in these factories that people Absolutely. use on a day, kind of like a, a day-to-day basis. On that bit, is that something that you guys would ever consider, kind of thinking, well, could we move into kind of like a printing side of, you know, ITB? Could that be something that we could do? Or is it just cost prohibitively ever always going to be, you know? I mean, the, the, so the difficulty is that, you know, it's with, with print, because it... It's it's a bit of a weird business from from what I understand of it, in that you've got the the raw product, which is things like you know you kind of basic flat sheets of grey board, um you know you paper your ink your printers or whatever, yeah, um all the way up to some pretty high end specialist equipment for cutting for you know lasering for CNC for die cutting for you know the kind of fairly niche kind of technical tools to to produce something that looks like a modern board game, um you know molding that kind of stuff. Um, so you've got, you kind of got this really weird spectrum of things, and the Chinese factories can do it very cheaply because they've got other very big, very established, you know, reaping the economies of scale companies that do all this kind of stuff. Um, whereas in the UK, there's just th- those things don't exist. You have to get a lot of it from specialist suppliers who are more expensive. Um, you know, shipping between cities in Europe is more expensive. Uh, yeah. Labor is more expensive. Yeah. Um, things like insurance and taxes and everything is more expensive. So although you can do it competitively on a small scale to other people in Europe, you just can't do it for mass manufacturer. Um, so I mean, the the only other way of looking at it, I think, is um, you know the the only successful business in the indie world that I know of that's in print that's not in China um, is GameCrafter. Yes, and they're based in the they're in the US, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. And I think that is something that the UK doesn't have, um, and Europe doesn't have, um, that it could, um, and I think would be very popular. Um, weirdly enough, it's actually cheaper to ship things from China to the UK and then back to Canada than it is to get it to the US and then over the border to Canada a lot of the time. Oh, uh, listen, like, you know, shipping prices is one of the, you know, we just... Um, Spoke about shipping prices on the last um, the last podcast about trying to get <laughs> anything shipped from America to the oh, UK. But then on the other side of it, um, um, it's actually cheaper to get something shipped from the UK to Australia than it is to get something shipped from uh, one side of Australia to the other. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why um, we have um, you know that's why you you get a lot of British sellers that sell to eBay Australia. Because it, they can actually match the postage prices yeah, if people are kind incredible. of far enough away. So I know where you're coming from. Um, I mean, 
going back to your story, so Molecular came out, it got funded, you went, you said you got, you ended up with about £17,000 worth of funding. Yeah, it was, so, I think it was about, including all the pre-orders on back again, I think it was closer to twenty grand in the end. That's pretty um, cool. Pretty, pretty good for a first try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, what did you do? I just went out and got 20 grand worth of backing. <laughs> there is a lot of guys that'll be going, oh, Peter, my goodness, just goes out, makes a game about moleculars and chemistry, and look at him, rolling in it. <laughs> I and mean, to be fair, you know, there's definitely been, in the last year at least, there's been, you know, bigger projects, first-timers. Like, I mean, they say Lewis Shaw's first one, downsized well over 30 grand. Yeah. Um, you know, Kevin Young with um, with with Legends and Soul. I mean, he's absolutely smashed it. Um, like big Kevin, props to the Kevin's guy. coming back on um, on another episode now. We had, oh, brilliant. A ch- we had a chat quite recently, and he just we did joke about. It. He says, "Oh, I'm going to come back on for another episode." I says, "Well, if you, well, could, we could call it the funded episode." And uh, we didn't realise we should have been doing an episode eight hours after he launched the project. <laughs> yeah, definitely. He's at what seventy? Oh, he's about seventy something grand now. Million? Seventy-two million. Seventy-two thousand. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Which looks like it's heading towards the, the, the yeah. tens of millions. But um, yeah, he's done. I mean, um, he's done really, really well. Um, but I mean, yeah. But I mean, you doing that? I mean. Did that mean, I mean, from your career point of view, you've, I'm taking, I mean, when did Molecular get released? Was it last year or year before? Uh, it's 2015. Right, so, okay. Yeah, it was like last year, basically. Okay. Did that decide the career then? I mean, did you have to go and have a word with the parental units and <laughs> kind of say, guess what? <laughs> You're never going to guess. I actually, I actually had that conversation not too long ago. Um, so when we did molecular, you know, we made a bit of money. Like we're not talking anything significant, really. Um, yeah. It, it was enough to get us both a very generous set of Christmas presents for our families, um, yeah. and you know, fund you know a, a little holiday each and that kind of thing. You know, it's not mega bucks at all. Yeah. Um, you know, we're talking a couple of grand a piece. Mm-hmm. Um, once we'd finished with everything, which which was good considering it was our first project, we weren't expecting to make anything. No, because um, we you know we didn't know how much things would cost really. Well, um, I mean, this is what happens: you put money into a Kickstarter, you get a board game. You don't usually get anything else because once the stretch goals and stuff take over on it. Oh know, yeah, exactly. You're kind of like you know you're lucky if you got enough to kind of kind of eat your lunch. So <laughs> molecular comes out, and then I mean, where what's the steps into kind of like the inside the box i mean when did itb when did you sit down with matthew and say let's make a go of this um and turn it into a business or i mean what was the next steps after that i think weirdly enough actually itb came first um so one of the we had an original business partner as well a guy called john um who did all the graphic design on on molecular yeah um you know part of ways with him after after a while so he sort of went on to do other things um Mm. but um one of the things we we all kind of sat down the three of us and we said, well, none of us have any money, basically. Um, you know, none of us have like you know a pot of cash we can rely on if things go go skywards. So we have to make sure we're we're protected. You know, it, you know, we've got to do what we can to to make sure we're we're not going to end up bankrupting ourselves before we've even graduated. Um, so we decided to set up a limited partnership um, to kind of recognise that we're all kind of in it together. Um, and so if someone sued the company 
we wouldn't end up losing everything we had, you know, what yeah. limited assets we did have. Um, so it's basically kind of, you know, a sensible legal decision, I want to say, like at the start that, that made the company. And obviously we had to come up with a name. Um, then we... Yeah, where um, did that come from? Let's talk about this. Because <laughs> if I've heard anything, you know, being in... I mean, I've been in sales for um, 20 years now. I'm, I'm, I'm old. I'm probably old enough to be your dad. <laughs> um, there's... Um, yeah... Um, there's an episode coming up quite soon where I am made to feel extremely old, um, thanks to a certain gentleman that you know quite well uh, and <laughs> nobody else knows about. But that's, um, and I've been told, you know, what you got to do, right, guys? If you're going to be selling or you're going to be doing anything or any kind of blue sky thinking where we get around and discuss our ideas and make them float, is we want to be thinking outside the box. <laughs> so where oh, yeah. did they come from? Is, was it because of that? Was it because? Yeah, of yeah. It was like I want to say like a reaction against that, like because um, we just sat down, you know, like thinking, you know, what what kind of thing could we could we do? And we're like, well, we don't want to pin down the company too much because we don't really know when, you know, are we going to wrap this up after one project? Is it going to completely fail? Like, or are we going to do well out of this? Like, we don't know what we're going to do with it. So we wanted something that was, um, you know, fairly general but still kind of on point. Mm. Um, you know, it wasn't going to be a kind of fantasy games limited that kind of thing. So we're like, well, we don't know if we're going to make any of them. <laughs> I know. Um, Get you uh, the the troll and orc. Or something yeah, like exactly. That. Like we, we just didn't really know where we were going to go with it. So we thought yeah. something that's 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 gamesy but not too specific. Um, and then we just kind of started chatting on you know like something about games, boxes, whatever. And then outside the box, and then we're like, oh no, someone's done that already. It's a bit bland. Um, and then we thought like inside the box <laughs> and thought oh actually that's quite funny like the idea that we're talking about things we're thinking about what's going into the game like we're thinking about what what is inside the box you know what, what's kind of contained within that cube of artwork um you know yeah. what, what's what's going on inside it and it was kind of i want to say like people it's a bit more highfalutin but i suppose like people keep you know thinking outside the box and kind of forgetting that there is something inside it um, that's, very, like, that's very Schrodinger. Yeah, a little bit. Like, I don't know whether is, to open the box to see if Peter is still alive or Peter yeah. is dead. <laughs> it's waffling on about crazy stuff as always. Um, that's so funny. But no, I mean, it's basically just you know, kind of drunken spitballing conversation at uni, and we just decided that was what we were going to go with. Um, yeah. If you, if you really want to laugh, you should look at our original logo. Um, if you go on the, the Facebook page and click on the sort of profile picture and, and go back a few, you can see that our uh, our first attempt at a logo, um, which is. Uh, Rubbish. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, what we'll do is we'll make sure that we put. You know what we're going to do? Could he use it for the art? <laughs> Excellent. I'm really considering that. I might actually do that because I think that would be a little bit of fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you gra- did you graduate? Yeah. So this this is the bit where I got a bit mental, really. Um, so I finished my exams on a Saturday. Hmm. Um, and then had like it's a, it's a thing like a dinner thing that we did while like tutors. Um, so was it? Yeah, it was a Saturday. So we did that on the Saturday night. Um, we had this like dinner with our tutors, so it was kind of celebratory meal thing, which hmm. is quite nice. Um, and then my girlfriend took me on holiday to Poland for like two days from that, that nice night, which was really nice. Like it was really cool. Um, so we did that like on that night. So finished my exams on the Saturday morning. Um, got horribly drunk with my mates. Um, then went to this dinner, 
then we went to Poland um, for like two, three days and then got back on like, uh, I can't remember when it was, it was like a Tuesday or something and then uh, moved house, um, got into the new place um, and then we launched the project. Um, molecular that was. All within the space of like a week, um, which is a bit <laughs> crazy. Um, and it was me and Matthew just like there for like 48 hours straight, just like, Boshing Red Bull, trying to like get everything finished on time, so we'd like promised everyone a particular date. Um, is yeah, it true? Is it true? And um, is it true that the the Kickstarter is absolutely fantastic as a platform, but in terms of letting you know which buttons and stuff you've got to press? Oh my god, yeah, <laughs> it's a nightmare. Like it's it's a really well well built platform. Like don't get me wrong, like there's oh, been yeah. some serious work put into that, but like. Things like letting you know if you press the button does it actually launch the project, <laughs> right? Like, was there not that question oh, on just... the Facebook page quite recently. Yeah, and for everybody yeah. who's <laughs> listening, <laughs> there is um, because I am and me and Colin are both a bit fans of kind of like the UK kind of board game scene in general. There's uh, the UK, as I say, there's a UK kind of Kickstarter page, but it brings up um, a lot of these kind of. It's like 17 questions you were afraid to ask about Kickstarter. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, and the best one was, I think it was actually maybe Kevin, who went, if I press this button, <laughs> do we go live? Or what actually happened? Asking for a yeah. friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was absolutely brilliant. No, it happens all the time. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that that you just kind of like... I mean, we, we just kind of threw ourselves at it and made a bunch of really stupid mistakes and then just kind of went, eh, fine, like, we'll just fix it as we go. Yeah, like, it'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be Of course I was sure. That's why I pressed yes five times. Yeah. It's, it's okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so you've moved, you've launched Molecular. Molecular is a success. Are you bothering to get an art? I mean, you mentioned telecoms and you said it's a fantastic story for an hour time, so we'll save that for <laughs> an hour time. Did you... Do you have a CV? Did you bother with a CV or did you just say, right, okay, we've started the company and let's see where it goes? Um, so at this point, we were still fairly, sort of, I want to say, fairly skeptical about the idea. Like we, you know, we did a thing, we enjoyed doing it. We had a great time, you know, developing the game, doing the Kickstarter, you know, talking to the backers and doing all that stuff. You know, yeah. it was, I want to say, it was ridiculously stressful. Like, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of pressure on us to deliver. Um, and, you know, fortunately we did. Um, we got a lot of happy backers, you know, about 500 of them or so. Um, got a lot of very good reviews of the game and we were really pleased with that. Um, but, you know, at that point we didn't have enough money to just decide to start the company. Like, you know, you said neither of us really had a chunk of money we could kind of rest on for a while. Yeah. Um, so uh, Matthew went back up to our kind of homeland in the north. Um, or both from Cumbria originally. All right, okay. Um, so he went back up there um, and uh, started looking for some work up there. Um, and I stayed in Oxford, uh, worked for the student union for a year. Um, but I did that part time. You just hung around the student union? Pretty much, yeah. As <laughs> <laughs> a, it's a no. barman and occasional drunk. It's, well, ten, it's ten pound to get in here, mate. Famously, <laughs> the Oxford Student Union doesn't have a bar. Um, it's uh, it's a bit of a weird one because all the the colleges um, basically have their own like mini student union. Oh right, um, okay. So the actual like student union is basically just an office. <laughs> it's kind of boring. That is, um, kind of boring. But uh, but yeah, so I, I worked for them for a year. Um, oh cool. As, okay. Like a part time, like I was helping the um, like had like a student fundraising group, and I was like basically looking after them. 
um, sort of doing all the sort of fundraising coordination and all sorts of bits and bobs of things. Um, but uh, yeah, so I did that part time, um, which gave me enough kind of money to live off just about, um, and uh, basically did the the sort of game stuff part time um, in well whatever was left of my spare time. Um, sort of seeing if I could make a go of it, and so the idea was after a year, if if I couldn't really do anything with it, I was just going to kill it off and like maybe you know get a full time job and and just do it as a kind of side hobby kind of thing. Um, but uh, and what did the um, what did the parents think of this then? Um, I think they were pretty concerned, to be honest, that I was going to just like <laughs> like you spent four we spent four years. You spent six years before that getting the getting the exam results to get in. It was, it was Oxford you went to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you spent six years getting the degree, getting the results to get into Oxford, and then you spent four years at Oxford, and now you want to do things with bloody cardboard. Yeah, I mean, like they were like relatively supportive, honestly. Like considering it's a bit weird. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, at the time, I, you know, I didn't really know what I was going to be doing. Um, nah. So I didn't really enjoy my degree. I didn't really want That's to do engineering. Ninety-five percent so. of everybody that graduates, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just kind of sort of keeping my options open, I suppose. And then um, kind of when I sort of came up with the next project, Statecraft, um, you know, that was, that was basically my baby, really, for the through the year. Um, you know, I'm massively interested in politics. You know, me and my friend Matthew, we like we spent ages talking about all sorts of stuff while we were at uni. Um, and we're kind of really, I want to say, like really deep into the like weird corners of the internet articles about like niche political things. Um, and we thought, like, is is this something? You know, can we like translate our interest of like this kind of stuff to a game? Yeah. Um, and then we kind of, by chance, kind of realised that this is exactly the same conversation we had about molecular. It's like, what are we interested in? Like, what what are the things that excite us? Um, and what can we be enthusiastic about? Um, and when we realised that was kind of almost like the secret sauce, it was like. Once we had that conversation again, we realised, and then we just went for it with that one, um, and uh, you know went crazy with uh, with Statecraft. Because um, Statecraft and, went out on Statecraft ended up funding even more than Molecular. I mean, it, it went on to almost sub forty k. So yeah, it was a great I mean, success, a thousand backers, and it uh, was brilliant. Yeah, I mean the 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 fun story again, something for a, a fun thing to probably put on the link or whatever is the the first campaign. Uh, so we ran it the first time. I uh, fell completely flat on my face um, and got about six grand of the 15 we needed. Mm-hmm. Um, just com- We just failed to communicate what it was that was interesting about the game, you know, why it was that people wanted to buy it. You know, We didn't really explain to people why we were excited about it. Yeah. Um, so we went away for three months, rehashed every single thing about the campaign we could manage. We went to Expo, did a, a big uh, preview there. We had like, a couple of demo tables, um, put our like, heart and souls into it. Um, and I took the, the risky move of putting my savings into it as well, which was ill-advised, though successful. Um, <laughs> it's a bit of a gamble. Yeah, it, it was a bit. And I was a little bit worried about it, obviously. Um, but uh, we did that, um, and it worked. Obviously, it, it, it did a lot better. It got nearly 40 grand. Um, got about another five grand on pre-orders as well. Do you think um, that um, because the landscape at the moment was all about kind of was quite politicised. I mean, let's face it, the last kind of couple of years have been highly politicised. Do you think that kind of helped with, you know, you obviously did general election and then you had independence vote and then you've had, you know, the the Brexit vote, the EU referendum, because I'm going to use Brexit, 
and then you've had the obviously the the American elections. Do you think yeah. that kind of helped kind of push people in? I think it does, and I think we were we were lucky in the you know the campaigns around the general election, you know the the EU referendum, the, the American election were all pretty toxic. Like, yes, you know. I mean, I've I've only been around for you know like as a as a nabble for two British elections and a couple of American ones, and like I don't want to say like I'm pretty shocked by like how horrendous it's got. Um, you know, I remember the 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 second Obama election. It was all about like Obama remaining kind of statesmanlike and Mitt Romney being kind of Republican yet statesmanlike. Um, you know, he didn't exactly seem like the kind of evil Sith Lord that a lot of people describe uh, Republican politicians as being. But now you've got like you know Donald Trump saying horrendous things about pretty much anyone he can think of, um, which was, uh, you know, not, not ideal. Um, and a lot of people obviously not exactly fans of Hillary Clinton either. Um, yeah, I yeah, know. That was the kind of, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the kind of thing. I mean, political, we don't like, we don't go down the political route um, ourselves on the podcast because we, I don't know, there's, an, as we have always said, there's enough podcasts kind of talking about these things um, about it. But yeah, I mean, I think it was the, you know, it was the first time potentially where you could say, I don't like either of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think a, lot of, a lot of people had some very strong views on either end. Um, you know, what, what I don't want to say, I don't want to kind of reveal my own views on it. Um, but, uh, but I think we, we were lucky in the sense that um, our, when we launched the campaign was about two or three weeks before the EU referendum. So there was actually, I want, I want to say there was actually quite a lot of hope um, at that point. Like, regardless of which side of the, the sort of the, the kind of argument you fall down on, you know, people were hopeful that the thing that they wanted to happen would happen. Um, and they were quite excited about the idea of a referendum in that everyone can get involved, everyone can vote, everyone's empowered to do something political. Yeah. Um, and similarly with the American election, you know, there, there were a lot of people were saying, you know, go out and vote, do, do what you want to do, you know, kind of you know, express your view, whatever it is. Um, so I think we were, we were looking in that sense that politics at the time had quite a positive connotation. Yeah. Um, you know, people feeling like they could do something. Yeah. Um, after the referendum, um, we we released a supranational union uh, expansion, um, yeah. which went down incredibly well, um, despite a lot of sort of you know again sort of angry conversation about the topic in general. Um, I think we were, we were quite lucky there as well, to be honest. But I think it did definitely, I want to say, kind of, it brought politics as a subject to the fore. Um, and it made people aware that it's a thing and a thing that should matter to them. Even if they don't agree with the politicians that are around them or, you know, they don't like the choices, it's something that does make a difference to something. Yeah, um, no, no. I mean, and it true. kind of, it, it gave the game a bit more of a kind of, I want to say, meaning to it. Which is, you know, what we're aiming for. So, uh, so yeah, yeah and I've certainly seen on um, Kickstarter and certain places, kind of things getting a little bit more, you know, political in terms mm. of their involvement in kind of board games and stuff like that as well. So, statecraft funds, and you get it out there, and everybody's and everybody's kind of happy. And then, where do you go? I mean, what what did you do next? I mean, was this you officially? rolling and a running with ITB as an official company with offices and stuff like that. Kind of what had kind of happened after there? Um, I mean, I cracked open a bottle of champagne. Um, <laughs> Breathed a sigh of relief. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cried then, in the Kickstarter fees. <laughs> it was it was a weird moment, to be honest. So, um, so I, I launched the campaign in the last month, the, the second successful campaign, um, in the last month of my, my, my job that I had with the student union. 
Um, yeah. And so I was kind of completely unemployed. I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, I'd applied to a few jobs. Um, you know, we, we, uh, me and my partner decided we were moving to London. So I was kind of applying for jobs in London, kind of knew that I was going to be moving to the city, but didn't know really what I was going to be doing there. Um, and, um, you know, kind of, Statecraft have done really well and, you know, the, I've made a reasonable amount of money out of it enough to kind of live off for a few months and kind of keep myself going with it. Um, and then I got a, a very good job offer um, and I kind of had to think very carefully about what I was doing. At the time, I was spending pretty much every day, all day doing Statecraft stuff. You know, I was uh, talking to Zach, our artist, about, you know, doing all the stretch goal content. I was talking to the manufacturers, the shipping companies, like all this kind of stuff. I was really really deep into it and absolutely loving it um and it was like do i take the risk and keep doing this or do i take this very good job offer and something very respectable kind of you know well paid and whatnot uh, kind of very stable job um and chatted through um with you know friends and family and stuff and decided that i wanted to sack off the you know respectable job and do the thing that i actually enjoyed doing um which was it was a difficult choice. Um, and just and just let your beard get bigger as well. Yeah, exactly. You because know, that is an impressive it is an impressive beard you've got. <laughs> <laughs> just so we've got it on record. It's it, it comes and goes. I'm I'm currently in about you know thirty percent beard. Um, <laughs> it's thirty percent beard. Uh, I need to recharge my beard. Is there like a little USB cable at the bottom? You, you kind of pl- yeah, just kind of open it, a flap and you plug know, it in. Yeah. Unfortunately, you need it changed because it uses like the old PlayStation Three type USB one, which is more difficult to get hold of than the USB micro one that everybody uses instead. Yeah. <laughs> you get into the situation where you're caught at ten percent beard, and then folk just say that ah, you could have that off with a rough towel, son. <laughs> oh no, exactly. I mean, there was one funny thing actually when um, when I went to UKG and. Uh, like I, can't, I had to have my beard there because like all my like social media profiles all the posts <laughs> I've done and everything were of me with a beard so I was like I can't shave it off because no one's going to recognise me um, oh dear so, so I ended up with this like ridiculous shaggy thing attached to my face for a couple of weeks um, but no you never thought of going down the thing with like you know the Sam is it Samuel Jackson and Jackie Brown where he's got beads in it uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't think I've really rocked the pirate look, to be honest. So, or uh, are you going to do um, baubles for Christmas? It's not a bad idea. I saw that a couple of years ago, and I think it was <laughs> um, baubles for your beard, and you, this is like these tiny little baubles that you attach into your beard to make you look Christmassy. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> because just imagine if you got drunk enough and fell on your face. Oh, that, would, that, oh, that sounds be, painful. That would just be, and you're obviously you're adding weight. Because beards can be big, but they're generally quite light, and you don't notice them after a while unless they're wet. You know, they're like your normal hair kind of thing. So I can imagine adding baubles or anything like that. I mean, obviously, you'd have to go for meeples. (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. Without a doubt, you have to do it this Christmas. Christmas meeples for the beard, ITB. We want to see photographs, Peter. (laughs) I'll make sure to send it to you. (laughs) (coughs) So, I mean, moving on, as you say, you've decided to take the plunge. Um, what? Where are you going from here then? What's What's the kind of the plans now? So, Is, yeah, I mean, I guess the... the kind you've of got the, staff, haven't you? I mean, I've looked at your site. There's yeah. never actually got, you know, this isn't just the case of, you know, there's a couple of guys hanging around an office saying, well, should we do a bit of work today? I mean, you guys, you've got staff... 
um, you've got um, people out there kind of doing stuff on a day-to-day basis. So what, what are you up to now? Well, I guess the, the, the kind of the, the main thing for us was that, like, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it properly. Mm. You know, we, we haven't got the money to mess around. You know, we can't just keep kind of dipping into savings and whatnot. So it's like, if we're going to actually go for it, we need to do this, like, full tilt. Um, so and so I'm, I'm down in, in London. We've managed to find somewhere. Um, so actually live in the office as well. It's like a sort of office flat combo thing. Um, so we managed to find somewhere that we could afford to get that had a decent size space for the office. Um so we've got plenty of space to spread out. Um, we can host events here. Um, it's perfect, basically. It's really well connected in London, and like it's got masses of space, and it's really open and stuff. So um, it's me and uh, intern Anthony at the moment. Um, dual partners and other sort of members of the team sort of flitting in and out uh, when they're here. Um, but yeah, it's basically we we just wanted to go for it um, and really work out what it is we wanted to achieve um, and then just do it basically this is like you know we've got to work hard at it and if it doesn't work you know we can always do something else you know we can always get a regular well, it's job something to tell the grandkids isn't it yeah exactly what you know, did if it you doesn't do work between out, 2015 fine. and you know 2027 it's like well up until everything became flipping vr and virtual <laughs> you know i used to uh, we used to uh, make board games <laughs> And they're like, what's one of them? <laughs> exactly. Put on the v- put on the virtual reality headset, and I'll show you. And we'll step in, and it'll be. Do you know what it'll be? First game on VR. It'll be Settlers of Flipping Catan, <laughs> <laughs> and you'll actually be walking around as a meeple, or it'll be um, Carcassonne or something like that, and you'll yeah, actually have to see. wander about the fields. And there'll be people that'll be like collapsing of exhaustion <laughs> because. <laughs> Because you realise that actually sticking a meeple down on a board is a lot different between walking five virtual kilometres to actually <laughs> set yourself there. And it's an, and that's why the meeples are lying down. Yeah. It's, it's not because they haven't claimed the land, it's because in reality tired. they've walked for miles and they're now very tired. But you can just imagine that'll be virtual reality, settlers of Catan, and I will still not have played it. <laughs> Excellent. But, no, I mean... I mean, obviously you've um, you've gone serious. You're, I mean, what what kind of makes up a day? I mean, what is the kind of stuff that you're getting involved in? Um, it's not as glamorous as you'd think it is. Um, like, I mean, obviously I knew this anyway. So it's basically working full time over the summer and uh, before we kind of settled here. Yeah. Um, but it's basically a lot of emails. Like, I mean, because my my sort of background of doing things is basically in project management. So like, I kind of structured the whole thing like a lot of projects um and it's it's lots of making sure your documents are organized you know doing google drives putting things together keeping lists of stuff emailing people facebook messages sending letters to people making documents ready for retailers you know planning out kickstarter pages um you know like we're, we obviously we deal with a lot of creatives you know artists illustrators designers you know video producers all sorts of different people yeah. sculptors even um and they have very complicated schedules, um, demands on their time. Uh, a lot of people in different time zones. We've got people in about seven different countries working on stuff at the moment. Um, and that takes a lot of organization um, to keep everything ticking over efficiently and making sure things are on time and, you know, you're getting the right stuff and no one messes it up too much and wastes a lot of time. Um, so I, I spend probably about 60, 70% of my day sat in front of my computer Um basically writing documents, spreadsheets, emails most of the time, which sounds proper boring. Um, it's not too bad. <laughs> most of it's interesting <laughs> stuff. Um, but I mean, it's 
I mean, like it's do people, I mean, do people come to you for advice? Do you offer them consultancy, or are you just continually plowing out kind of new ideas for board games? Um, it's kind of a mix of all sorts, really. I mean, I, I haven't charged for for advice at all. I, like, I'm kind of reluctant to to get into that game. Um, you know, other people do it. Other people do sort of consultancy for projects and you know make a good good crust out of it, and yeah. people are very satisfied yeah. with with what they do. Um, but I think for me, like. I got into this to make games and I got into this to, to kind of make stuff. Um, and for me personally, like the consultancy angle, while it's a very lucrative business and it's something that can add a lot of value. Um, it's not really for me. Um, I think, you know, like I, I, I design games myself. Um, now we're moving into publishing other people's games. Um, so Subterra is our sort of first big, uh, title that's uh, been published by, uh, sorry, been um, designed by someone else. Um, guy called Tim Pender, um, absolute genius game designer. Um, but um, but yeah, I think for me, it's it's about kind of the kind of you know satisfaction of making a thing, whatever that is, whether it's you know making an event happen, making a, a game, making a graphic novel, making a book. Um, it's it's that that really kind of attracted me to this in the first place. Um, and I think that's that's kind of where we're going with it. Is you know, so can we make more good stuff? People should come to you if they are interested in making stuff. Yeah, exactly. Good stuff. Yeah, we want to make good stuff that makes you think. Basically, I think okay. things like that's the kind of the the key um, sort of idea behind it all. I mean, they said about the slogan thing. the The slogan we've gone with is uh, "Play with ideas." Um, it's pretty corny, but it's a good slogan. We're thinking, you know, that that's the thing that that made us excited about molecular, about statecraft, about our original idea for, for Broken Shield, about Subterra, uh, about the games we've got coming up for the rest of the year. Um, they're all about kind of interesting conversations we've had um you know about yeah. pretty much anything um and we've gone you know what this is this is a really interesting thing like we're excited about this like there's there's something in this and like if you can think of it you can make a game of it like basically um isn't that the thing isn't it i mean you know that's the wonderful thing about board games you yeah, know exactly. would you like to play a game about power stations are you daft no no here's power grid <laughs> exactly you know what i mean about, would you, you know, like efficient to play a game train networks trains? yeah you know, you, <laughs> Oh, well, what would you want? Well, there's an actual game <laughs> called Trains you can play, you know, or you can play Ticket to Ride, or if you want to do Ticket to Ride and Sailing, we've now got Rails and Sails. <laughs> I don't like that. I prefer Bacteria. Well, maybe Pandemic is you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's pretty much kind of like, you know, I was, you know, we've played and we've covered so many, uh, quite a lot of board games on We're Not Wizards, and there's a lot of games we've played which we'd like to cover, and if you th- actually sat down and totted up the different subjects that people actually make board games about it's yeah it's staggering it is i mean the last i think the last and there's another episode of me and colin coming up soon but i think the last game that we looked, talked about was being was a what was a ys which was about jewelry <laughs> you know being yeah. in the jewel trade so it's, it's 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 actually fantastic um for the future i mean one of the things as we say we we talked about um you know, we've, we've we've talked about where we are just now and where you'd like to be. Um, obviously, for the future for yourselves, one of the one of the same things that we 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 always kind of mention on We Are Not Wizards is the, is the kind of the shout out stuff. Mm. Um, is there? I mean, um, is there anything that you would like to kind of mention that's going to be coming out or is present at the moment that you want to make uh, the good listeners uh, aware of? Sure. I mean, so we've been we've been pretty busy. Um, 
So we've got the, the pre-order shop for, for Statecraft open at the moment. Um, so if you missed out on the campaign there, um, you can get the Kickstarter prices for, for pretty much everything on there. Um, it's had about, I think we unlocked about seven expansions off the top of my head on the <laughs> campaign, which is pretty great. Um, I, I really enjoyed making them all. Um, thank you, backers. Um, yeah, I, had <laughs> thank a, I had a great time doing that. Um, what else you got coming up? You mentioned Subterra. Yeah, so that's that's the next big blockbuster. Um, I say we, um, you know, Statecraft was my my kind of baby for a year. Um, Subterra has been the baby for this year. I want to say um, we uh, had a bit of a weird one uh, when we went to Expo, which is our first time we went to Expo actually this year. Um, you know, I've been to all sorts of different games conventions before. Never actually been to to Expo itself. Um, got a stand, did well with uh, with uh, Statecraft even. Um, and one of the things that uh, I got involved in was uh, the Wyvern's Lair. <clears throat> which is basically a Dragon's Den style presentation event where um, people come and uh, after they've been sort of filtered out and there's a kind of not, you know kind of short list, yeah. uh, people present their their cool new game idea to a panel of judges, and I was lucky enough to be chosen to be one of the judges, um, which was shocking oh, right. okay. but okay. awesome. Um, so it was myself, <laughs> uh, Louis Shaw from Braincrack Games. Um, there was uh, Alex Yeager from Mayfair, Duncan Os- uh, Duncan Malloy um, from Osprey, um, a chap from Spiral Galaxy na- Games Duncan's whose name awesome. escapes me. <laughs> yeah, Duncan's great. Duncan's um, brilliant. We did an interview with Duncan um, about Escape from Colditz. Oh, uh, brilliant. Just as a quick aside, um, there is a copy of Escape from Colditz um, coming to me very, very soon. <laughs> Excellent. Which I treated myself for Christmas. <laughs> so Brilliant. I'm quite excited about that. Yeah, he's a top guy. So there was some um, guy from Spiral Galaxy you were saying. Sorry yeah, and um, and the sort of the, the big name is there was uh, Christian Peterson from FFG. Oh yeah. Um, who was was pretty grumpy actually. Um <laughs> uh, didn't, didn't take to him too well but um Did he have beard envy? Uh, potentially. Maybe he's just very, very jealous of my my beard. Um Did he have I'll, a beard? He didn't know he was perfectly clean shaven. He's very See, well that's what man. it'll be then. He's probably, do you know what's happened? He's gone out, and before he's went out, his wife said to him, you're not going out with your face looking like that. <laughs> but the guys him, like it, you know? He's taking like them that upstairs, kind of have a shave. <laughs> so he's but come t- in and he's sat next to somebody who's just throwing their beard in his face. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, it's a shame he was, no, I mean, obviously we're not going to, I don't want to speak ill of the man. No, nah, I, I think he's had just had a bit of a, a long day. Email to him say, we dear, uh, we run a podcast uh, called We're Not Wizards, and I don't speak in this voice at all. Um, so that would be kind of cool. But yeah, so who? Um, Kevin Young mentioned Warfins Lair. Yeah, so he was one of the the presenting one. Well, I want to say teams uh, there with his his business partner presenting um, Legends Untold, and I think he actually got some interest from from a few judges as well, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but obviously, he decided to go his own way, and that's that's done very well for him, which is great. Um, like, it's, it's really exciting to see that someone's you know decided that you know don't don't get kind of dazzled by the publishers if you think you can do it yourself and, and do it your own way. And yeah, absolutely. Like, massive amount of respect for that. No, absolutely, um, absolutely. But uh, but yeah, while we were there, one of the other um, one of the projects that was presented uh, was Subterra by Tim. Um, he did an incredibly compelling presentation. Um, what I thought was very compelling um, very clear um, he had a very clear vision for the game what it was going to be why it was going to be that way um, the game was clearly very thoughtfully designed um, had you know, like a clear sense of purpose like the actions that you were taking in the game connected very well to the theme uh, you, know, you had a lot of very interesting decisions to make 
it wasn't complicated to understand, but it had a lot of depth. Um, so it's kind of hitting all the right notes, basically, um, for something at least that we wanted to publish. Um, so myself and, as it turns out, a few of the other publishers approached him at the end. Oh, right. um, okay. And uh, yeah, I went over him and basically said to him, I would like to publish your game. Here's my business card. Um, so he looked a bit shocked um, that someone had, had said that. Um, I think probably less shocked as more and more people came across and said the same thing. Um, but uh, then after a bit of sort of negotiation and back and forth with, with Tim, he decided to, to publish with us. Um, but uh, yeah, so now we're kind of, you know, six months later after reams of art development and, you know, game playtesting and promotional stuff and mm. kind of really, really getting the, the concept refined to, you know, sharp edge. Um, we're releasing that in January on Kickstarter. Um, so to kind of t- t- tell you a little bit about what the game actually is, um, it's a cooperative survival horror game uh, where you you've been you and a, a bunch of uh, sort of professionals have been sent into a uh, an unexplored cave network by this mysterious company. Um, you're not really sure why you're mapping this this cave network out. You assume it's for some kind of mining or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't really ask too many questions, and you you get into this cave network and you you fall down into the bottom levels of this cave. Um, you can't see an obvious way out. Um, there's no immediate uh, exit route, uh, and you have to find your way out of this this horrifying, hazardous, dark, terrifying cave network um, before you know the batteries run out on your flashlights and you you know you're lost in the darkness forever. Um, and it's basically you start off in this kind of partially lit bit of this tunnel um, with a kind of huddle of cavers together, um, and you have to procedurally generate your cave and try to explore your way out. Um, while trying not to die as a result of being um, attacked by floods, cave-ins, uh, rough terrain, gas leaks, um, and you know the kind of tagline bit of you know, and you don't think you're alone down here, um, <laughs> things that come after you. It sounds um, like a good day out for the kids. Oh yeah, definitely a good, uh, good, good, clean fun. Um, but uh, it, probably the best way to explain it is uh, I think Pandemic meets the the film The Descent. Um, so it's kind oh, yeah. of dark unsettling horror um with a good kind of co-op feel um so it's uh it's a, it's a good game it's 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 very neat um it gets very quick as well which is good um so you kind of you're doing a lot of actions um awesome. in your kind of you know your 45 minutes to an hour slot of time um you don't always win it's a hard game hmm. um you know some co-op games can be a bit too easy um you know they kind of for for want of not making people feel a bit you know, kind of outdone. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think it, it strikes a good balance between being a good challenge um, and being possible. Cool. Um, and it has, you know, all sorts of difficulty levels. And we've got three expansions um, planned for the Kickstarter as well, which add all sorts of extra stuff in. We've got minis as an upgrade. We've got um, art prints. Um, one of the, the cool things, actually, I think probably the coolest thing about the sort of offerings of the project is that um, we're doing custom miniatures. Um so for you know it's, it's a reasonable amount of money but for a couple hundred quid um you can get um, the sculptor well well the, we'll commission the sculptor to make a miniature of you um as a, a character in the game um that's and you'll very get a, tempting isn't it a copy you've got it yeah and, and you'll get a copy of this sent to you um, along with obviously a copy of the game and everything um and you also get, you know, be 3D printed, high quality uh, miniature, the same scale of all the, the, the ones in the game. Um, and you also get a statuette, sort of blown up version of it as well. Oh, um, I can you imagine that? Me showing my grandkids that. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this. It's a kind of slightly rotund, slightly balding, ugly looking man. 
<laughs> Who is that? That's me. Go to your room. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, when's it? Did you say February? Uh, sorry, January. So January, we're planning. Right, on, that's next month. That yeah, planning close. on the tenth of January. Um, so if all goes well, it'll be be live on Kickstarter ATM tenth of January British time. Um, cool. But uh, yeah, it's it's all going pretty well at the moment. We've uh, I just had a conversation with um, the team today because uh, we've got um, Tim, uh, the illustrator, David Campos, um, graphic novelist, uh, David Fjallison. Um, so we're doing a kind of accompanying graphic novel to kind of map out the story of the, the sort of what's going on in the game. Um, yeah, the, yeah, that's uh, good. The sculptor Nassos and um, Zach, the the graphic designer who did the statecraft stuff as well. And uh, yeah, everything's going everything's going pretty well at the moment, which is good. So I think we're we're going to have a pretty strong campaign. I hope. And do you um, have a do you have a price for that? Uh, at the moment, it's looking between twenty twenty five pounds for the core game. Really? Um, so it's going to be it's going to be on the low end. Um, yeah, that is. Price. Yeah, and it's it's a pretty solid game. You know, you got about seventy tiles, uh, eight cable boards, so sort of player map boards. Hmm. Um, you know, meeples tokens. Um, you've got uh, sort of deck of the what we call the hazard cards, the sort of things that happen in the cave. That's uh, a ridiculously reasonable price because I've seen card games that have gone for. 20, you know that amount for about 20 25 quid i've yeah, actually seen i've seen guys i've seen some uh, kind of american kind of bigger card games going for about 30 dollars which nowadays is about 25 quid yeah, so yeah like exactly you've got, you've got quite a lot well i mean we shall keep an eye out in it <laughs> on, on, on the we're not wizards and um <clears throat> you know make sure when it's when it's out there we shall we shall give it a little bit of a a shout out or a mention when it's very much appreciated. That's fine. Speaking of shout outs as well, um, as I mentioned earlier, um, we you know offer people the chance to give a shout out. But if they want to find you on the internet, if they've listened tonight and they've went, oh, that's or listen during the day or first thing in the morning or the afternoon, I do not decide your listening podcast schedule is entirely up to you. <laughs> but if they have listened and they've thought, oh, this has been quite interesting, because um, we have kind of, I hope we've delved quite deep. Um, into the kind of the process and stuff like that. Um, if people want to find you, mm-hmm. where would they find you? How do they find you? What's the best place to? Um, the easiest thing to do is you know drop me an email. Like um, I have you know completely public email address of contact at itbboardgames.com. Um, cool. If you if you want to chat, you want to find out more about board game publishing. If you've got a cool game idea, um, if you're an illustrator, a designer, like. If you just want to get involved, you know, if you're in the London area and you want to do some work, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's always stuff for us to 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 get people to do. Um, cool. Then then drop me an email. Um, you know, catch me on Facebook, Twitter, whatever else works. Are you um, on? What are you on on Facebook? Is there a particular people, um, people should look for? Easiest thing to do: look for uh, Inside the Box Board Games on cool. Facebook. Just search it; it'll come up. Um, you'll uh, see the the little red and what about, hexagon. Cool. And what about the Twitters? Uh, Twitter's just at ITB Board Games. Um, so again, you know, just give me a shout if you want to chat. I don't know. Um, you know, you got a cool idea. You want to bring something to our attention. You want to yeah. shout horrible things at us. I don't know. Um, whatever floats your boat. Well, you've got the. Um, oh, and obviously, as as I've mentioned a couple of times, you've got um, the kind of the UK Kickstarter page as well, which yeah. you've been responsible not only for kind of getting everyone together but kind of building a miniature community for kind of helping people out so we'll put a little link into that as well it's growing on a day-to-day basis and it's interesting to see so many creative people you know taking something that was maybe a sketch on a notepad or 
something that they th- they thought about in the middle of the night or something, <laughs> and actually make it a reality. So there's there's some great people on there. Um, there's a few people yeah. that um, have ended up on We're Not Wizards through that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, which is which is good. Um, <clears throat> as for us, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to and what we're doing, we are on Twitter. It's We're Not Wizards. We're on Facebook. It's We're Not Wizards. You can get us on Instagram. We've got about 10 photos now. Oh, we've got one of them as well. Steadily increasing. (laughs) Might be 11 by the end of the night. And that is in uh, We're Not Wizards. You can email us. It's magic at wearenotwizards.com or .co.uk. If you go to iTunes, you can find us on there by searching for We're Not Wizards as well. Um, Subscriptions are always nice because that bumps us up the list. Um, Reviews are even nicer. So if you like what you hear tonight... Um, jump us a quick, jump us a little bit of a review. It's um, it always again helps and helps get the the word of the podcast out there as well. Um, Peter, this has been for me. It's been fascinating because of all you've, as I say, you've gone, kind of got quite a presence in terms of running the couple of successful Kickstarter campaigns that you have. Obviously, taking the plunge and starting a board game company for a lot of people that would be a bit of a a kind of a dream job to be involved <laughs> sure. in the creative process. So I've had a, it's been very interesting and I've had an awful lot of fun as well. And I hope Great, me too. I hope you've enjoyed yourself as well. Yeah, um, As normal, there is only one more thing for everybody to remember. And that is that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Peter? Definitely not wizards. Absolutely not. We are many things. We are maybe deep sea exploring miners, or maybe we're running a political campaign, or even a board game company, but we don't use magic. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, no, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Um, all that's all. left to do is for everybody to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Peter. Uh, that's a goodbye from me. <laughs> And it's a goodbye from me, man. I've been Richard. Um, Again, thank you for listening. Take care. Um, Always roll sixes, and we shall speak to you very soon. Goodbye.